Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. And I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. And I'm so happy to have with us today one of my very favorite people, my friend Stephen Malone. Yay! Hi, Stephen. Hi, everybody. Welcome, Stephen. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Stephen and I met, I think, seven years ago on The Hunchback of Notre Dame. And we're fast friends. And then most notably, we spent two years opposite each other in the pit of Anastasia with one of our great previous guests, Sarah Hewitt-Roth. So I'm sure you guys are all going to love Stephen by the end of this episode. I already do. I just met him five minutes ago. Yeah. Oh. Oh, God, the pressure to be witty and charming. It's too much. But just imagine being sandwiched between him and Sarah for two years. And that is the paradise that my life used to be. Oh, well, (laughs) I I will speak for Sarah in here and say that's exactly how we felt getting to be next to Caitlin. Oh, Oh. it was just a great place to be. It was. So, Stephen, where are you joining us from today? Where in the world? I am in New York City uh, at the corner of (laughs) Avenue. So all you (laughs) stalkers out there. (laughs) (laughs) Now you know where I did. I didn't say which corner, but it's one of those. Get your opera glasses out and... (laughs) Peeking the windows. So, Stephen, tell us a little bit about Team Malone, your family growing up and your family now. Funny that you say it that way, because the uh, family group text chain is, in fact, called Team Malone. Oh, Oh, great. (laughs) You fit right in here. I know. It's it's perfect. (laughs) Who is on that Team Malone text chain is my father, my brother and I, my brother's wife, and then his three kids. Hmm. And that that's who makes up Team Malone these days. Great. And then <laughs> going back 41 years, uh, when I entered the picture, my mom, Gwelda, my dad, Benny, and my brother, Marty, who is eight years older than I am. So that was our, our family unit of my growing up. And I know the answer, but where'd you grow up? <laughs> well, I grew up in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Oh, wow. Shout out Chattanooga. Born and raised. That's right. Hey, Chattanooga. Uh, grew up in Chattanooga, college outside of Nashville, and then in Houston. So I kept it real Southern before I came to New York. <laughs> I like that, how the accent can just come and go. It's very handy. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's, it's, I pull it out of my pocket when I need it. Yeah. <laughs> and our last question for guests, for new guests, is what was your history with the show Parenthood? Had you watched it before or was this your first time? So uh, today I watched my <laughs> episode today and I have to say it is, I'm pretty sure the f- first time I've ever watched an episode of the television show Parenthood. I, I knew it existed. I've certainly passed it by on TV. So I've seen glimpses of it, but I have never watched an episode But I realized today watching it, I have a very deep, uh, I guess, understanding memory of the original film. Oh, yeah. I think, so this is back in the 80s, we had the whole um, two VCR setup where you could rent (laughs) something from the video store Uh and, you know, play it on one VCR and record it on the other. And at some point we ended up with a copy of Parenthood that I watched all the time as a kid. So watching it today, I realized, I, I think I sort of understood or had an approximation of yeah. who all the characters were, just remembering, oh, that's um, so-and-so. That's, you know, remembering each of those people from the original film. Oh, cool. That's actually how we started this podcast. We watched the film and did an episode of that. And it ah. was really a great way to kick it off. I loved the film when I was young. And Caleb, you had never seen it before, right? No, I I think I had seen the beginning of it on TV because I definitely remembered, do you feel like you want to throw up? 
okay. <laughs> I remembered that in my head, but I didn't remember. So wait, Caleb, you any of the rest? So you can't, you started the TV show cold, fresh, yeah. not no, oh, interesting. Yeah, because it 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 sort of it's the same family yeah. structure, yeah, right? totally. Yeah, okay. That was a fun way to approach it too. We kept like making those connections. It's the only episode right. of our podcast that is full of spoilers because we were gotcha. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So watching it today, I was like, well, I'm I'm guessing Dak Shepard is Tom Holes, yep. and yeah. Uh, six feet under is um steve <laughs> martin yes yeah and, uh, <laughs> perfect yeah and is um uh i'm i'm embarrassing with names here but gilmore girls is <laughs> this is fun diane is diane weiss yes yeah single yeah. Okay. mom okay gotcha I'm so happy to have you here. I can't wait Yay. to talk about it. Thanks for watching an episode of a show you've never seen just uh, for this. Happy to. <laughs> well, today we are discussing Parenthood Season 4, Episode 6, I'll Be Right Here. It was written... I'll be... <laughs> I'll be right here. <laughs> Easy quote. Yeah. Uh, this episode was written by Sarah Goldfinger. Goldfinger! <laughs> and directed That's why she named it that. <laughs> and directed by Jessica Yu. It originally aired on October 23rd, 2012, and here is the DVD synopsis. Christina heads into surgery as the Bravermans lend their support. Meanwhile, Drew is upset about a decision Sarah makes. Joel is concerned Julia is spreading herself too thin, and Ryan asks Amber on a date. I just want to point uh. out that Joel is not concerned. <laughs> Julia spreading herself too thin. That's not a storyline we saw in this episode. No, Julia like shows up a quarter of the way into the episode. Yeah. In Who's Joel? <laughs> yeah, he's not in this. Yeah. Oh, he is Rick Moranis, only not at all. It's funny. He, that's the oh. other biggest change is they took that like, you know, kind of dickhead competitor, nerdy character. I mean, I, I love Rick Moranis, but still. And they like turned him into like a hunk who's like, with I don't know. With a heart of gold. Like, with a heart of gold, yeah. And is Julia not Julia Stiles? Yes. That, that actress? <laughs> yes. Okay. Swim fan. Okay. Swim fan, yeah. Okay. It makes, but it makes me wonder if that storyline was in the episode and just got cut out. I'm but uh, starting with season four, there are no deleted scenes on DVDs, oh, so I can't chat. But anyway, so this episode is picking up after last week's episode, which was a really huge, momentous episode, putting lots of new storylines into motion. So I felt like this one was a lot of picking up on things that were begun there. And I thought we'd start with maybe the happiest one of those developments. Hey. Hi. You remember me? Yes. Yeah. My, my grandpa's friend. Right. Ryan. <laughs> Ryan, hi. <Yeah>. Amber. <laughs> uh, so, this is, uh, this is the place you work. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's every bit as nifty as Zeke said it was. Nifty. Yeah. It's his favorite. <laughs> you should go by and see where my granddaughter works. A real nifty outfit they got going. <laughs> well, it is a nifty outfit, so. Well, cool. Um, are you, are you interested in music? Uh, I'm interested in you. Oh. That's, that's very direct. Is that like a soldier thing? Uh, no, I, I'm incredibly nervous, and if I don't just cowboy up, then I'm going to lose my nerve, so, uh, would you go out with me sometime? 
Yeah. Yes. Nifty. <laughs> recall. Yeah, well. Well, it's good that that scene had a recall because I believe we've never heard Zeke use the word nifty ever on this series. So there's <laughs> Yet that, it feels but. appropriate. Yeah, when he when he used it in context, a real nifty outfit they got going on. I'm like, okay, now I hear it. So anyway, that is so not the point of this scene. Well, I did notice. <laughs> I did note that we got another Zeke impression. I know oh, we've heard yeah. Adam imitate Zeke before. Zeke Braverman, oh. how you doing? Oh no! And I feel like there's been at least one other, but I can't remember who it was. And I feel I might like Crosby would have, but I can't. I can't remember. Someone will tell us. Someone will be like, it was this person in this yeah. episode. And we'll be like, thank you, listener. And that's nice. <laughs> I thought it was pretty adorable, though. No one's ever walked into my workplace and just asked me out at the front desk. I mean, sign me up. Come <laughs> right. on. Right. Hello. Yes. Did you guys both think that was charming? I totally was in. I'm like, this is precious. Yeah. Hooked. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Totally rooting for them. Yeah. They're precious. I liked the direct thing. I I was like, yeah, I'm. I don't really care for games or any of that. I just loved that he was to the point. I feel like the whole rest of the episode, he kept saying, "That must have been creepy. This is creepy." I'm like, nothing you're doing is creepy. Stop saying you're creepy. <laughs> yeah, but but now I'm worried it's gonna get creepy. Yeah, it's true. He knows it's inside of him or something. <laughs> do we have some like? Do we have some PTSD storylines coming up? Just guessing. Like, you can't start this great. <laughs> right. Someone's gotta, yeah. And it just keeps getting better, and then it never, <laughs> never drops. That's life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, all the yeah. creepy talk did make me think about those movie trailers that people will sometimes recut to look like, like different Mary. genres than they are. Yeah. So it's like, oh, West Side Story is now a horror movie or The Shining is a touching family drama. <laughs> and so I, I did do a little recutting <gasps> of the Asking Them Out scene. Well, cool. Um, are you are you interested in music? Uh, I'm interested in you. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> So good. Oh, my God. You know, didn't Hattie date her grandmother's friend? I mean, Alex is kind of, you know. So these girls are just meeting everybody through their grandparents. Just That's saying. the hookup. That's the hookup. There it is. How does grandpa know this young soldier? The VFW. Zeke is a Vietnam vet, and he went to gotcha. volunteer, and that's how he met Ryan. Ryan fixed his sprinklers because Ryan did irrigation in Afghanistan. Okay. Sorry, he said fixed his sprinklers. I thought it was headed somewhere else. <laughs> Maybe I will watch more episodes. <laughs> well, let's discuss this moment from their date. I hope you don't feel like you had to go out on a date with me. Like it would be rude to your grandpa or something if he said no. No. Ryan, I don't, I don't feel like that. It just kind of seems like... You're not really into it, which is which is totally fine. No, God, it's not that. Um, I think I'm feeling distracted because it's uh, it's my aunt's like surgery thingy tomorrow. I was oh. just thinking about her, and then I just realized that I think I've been not really dealing with it, and I actually feel kind of scared because I don't really know what's going to happen and I'm sorry I'm uh, no. getting emotional on Here. our first first date so that's not good I understand if this is just too heavy and 
you'd rather not. No, 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 no. I mean, if you want to go home, I, I will take you home right now. But I, but it's not, it's not too heavy. You know, I would love to buy you a burrito and, and talk some more about your aunt, if that's okay. Really? Yeah. How do you know her? That's <laughs> 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 funny. Okay. Also, so not the point, but um, Caleb's sister Jay is my best friend and has been since we were 11 years old. And listening to them on their date, I was like, that's how Jay and I sound with each other even now. We're like, <laughs> we're both such polite people who hate to offend. So I'll be like, oh, I'm sorry that I have to do this. And it's like, no, 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 I'm sorry. Why did I do that? I'm like, oh my God, me, no, me, me. I'm sorry. And I'm like, we have been friends for like 30 years and this is still how we talk and so you know maybe those two will be together in 30 years and they'll just be apologizing to each other i must sound so creepy i'm like no 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 i'm crying oh god (laughs) anyway well i thought it was while it was certainly sweet that amber's mind was on christina something about that rang a little false to me and i don't i don't know why maybe that's not fair but it's like Amber is so concerned about Christina and it's coming out now. I don't know, but not to, not to either of you. It did not to me. I I, I think a little bit, it felt like a pushing a plot point. Mm, I mean, she sold it well. She did, but let's also be honest. That was a lot for a first date. (laughs) Right. You know, (laughs) as someone who tends to cry on first dates, it doesn't always go well. So, (laughs) you know. What's so funny you mentioned, because I did think in a way, well, like I thought Ryan was a total gentleman about it. Points to him. But if I were him, I would almost be grateful in a way because my least favorite part of dating, especially first dates, well, I mean, any early dates, it's all the expository getting to know you stuff, oh. which is which is kind of by its nature shallow. Mm-hmm. And yet things have to go in an order. But jumping right into something heavy, while a huge risk, I'm not saying it's like dating advice. <laughs> <laughs> but it would maybe give you a quicker sense of this other person who you don't know. Like I think about that on the podcast a lot when we're yes. meeting someone, someone else's friend and we end up talking about really intense things, albeit as they relate to a fictional show. Yeah. It is a very quick get to know you, and you're talking about real stuff. So get re- ready, Melissa, because we're going to get deep. In a <laughs> we're going to get deep. <laughs> I, I am, that's Caleb warning you. I am ready. I am ready. <laughs> I, can get, I can get deep right back, and we'll like feel like we've known each other for years. But no, seriously, that is my favorite thing about both this podcast, but also that date of theirs. And yeah, again, I don't know how well that would really go down like in real life, but when Caleb, I was nodding when you were talking, cause I didn't think you were going to say like the expository, like get to know you stuff. I thought you were going to say small talk, which is, I guess, essentially the same thing. I really get ugh, like, I don't like small talk. I'm an introvert who loves deep connections. And so if I were Ryan, I'd be like, okay, we're getting real. And that is so much better than, you know, and, and I think it depends. Like, since they already seem pretty smitten with each other right from the start, I think it can work. I think if you were like, I don't know if I'm into this person, and then they cried, it right. would probably not go well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think, especially with him, I mean, his whole life of late was deep, you know? He was a soldier in Afghanistan, probably he has no interest in small talk either. You know, he is probably like just not into chit chat. And so I just think 
probably he felt almost more comfortable when she cried, which is a strange maybe thing to say. But I feel like then he sort of was able to relax and not be maybe the only one with something heavy on his mind. It was like a shared experience, perhaps. Yeah. I think that definitely played well and that sort of, as that banter got rolling, played well. I I, I think thinking about what you're saying, Caleb, that it, like, she didn't seem that distracted when he asked her out. Yeah. Like, yeah. suddenly she's like, me, 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 you know. <laughs> right here like, in this Mexican restaurant. <laughs> right now, like, yeah. over burritos. You seem pretty excited three hours ago. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. I don't know why I just went with it. Maybe it was because she mentioned her aunt as far as, like, this was the job I had before. And then it, like, got her thinking about it. Mm. And so, like, then it was on her mind. But... Now that I think about it, that was maybe kind of a clunky transition. Like, why would you just randomly talk about the job you had before when he's like, oh, it's cool where you work? So, yeah, I think you two are right. <laughs> I do love, I am excited to use the uh, how did you meet her line. Yeah. That's good. That's funny. Like, it's yeah, very that's good. funny. That's good. Yeah. What did you guys make of their post-date interaction? Do you think Amber was right to be, I couldn't tell if it was just confused or if there was like, a little bit of offended in there too. That yeah, he- both. <laughs> and I get it. <laughs> totally. I thought I, I very much related. I was like, yeah, that's how I would feel. Mm-hmm. And then like, oh, he didn't like, we shook hands or whatever, you know. Yeah, that, it was like, so I, I totally Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, but perfectly, I think a perfect writing, perfectly played. Like it, it did everything it needed to do. But yeah, I totally, would, I was with her. I think it's a great, storyline already. I'm so excited about it. And I think one of the reasons is from Amber's perspective, that would be offensive and it would indicate, it would signal, oh, he's not into me because all we've seen her date really are like lecherous douchebags. We have never (laughs) once seen her even go anywhere near a gentleman, you know? And so like, I guess that's true. I wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. She wouldn't have any idea, I think, what to do with that. And I thought that was kind of beautiful. And I mean, I don't know that you have to go so far as to not even like kiss a person on the cheek or hug them or say, I loved this. Let's do it again. You know, like, you know, maybe he could have done something to make it clear that he was interested without going quickly. But I I really thought that was a very believable and interesting sort of miscommunication. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, let's hear how she chose to address it. I'm a little confused. Uh, oh. Just about, like, how you feel about me. Or, well, I, don't know, I'm just... I can't stop thinking about you since... <laughs> that, now that sounds creepy. No, stop. Obviously, I am thinking about you, but, you know, I mean, I don't know. I invited you in, and you, you said no, and, I mean... Never had a guy say no before. I mean, not that it's plethora of in and out, but it's, you know, I'm just... No, I... So... Yeah. Listen, um... I really like you, Amber. I just... I don't want to screw it up. So I... I, I just would like to t- take a little time. Take it a little slow, if that's cool. Of course. Okay, cool. Well, so then maybe I'll call you next time. Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, have a good night. (laughs) Can can I I just ask, the second that, (laughs) I totally thought, 
are they playing you take the high road and i'll take the low i thought it was alouette jante alouette <laughs> i feel like maybe the music missed the mark is what you're both saying <laughs> i mean i pretty but i was like well, i don't think that's applicable the scottish <laughs> ballad is applicable in this moment well you know since there's a fellow musician on the podcast i did have something i want to say about just music in general on the show i think i'm noticing it even more because we'll play audio on the podcast and we usually are pulling sort of the most emotional moments and it almost never fails that the music comes right in and the music is always lovely but it does sometimes feel like they're underlining things a little too deliberately and sometimes i mm. think well for instance the scene in the mexican restaurant when amber starts crying i thought would have been more effective if we just kept hearing the sound of the restaurant around her mm, that yeah. i think mm. the like the mismatch of her environment and her emotional state would have made it less jarring that she was suddenly crying than you know, the guitar coming in and this is an emotional mm -hmm. moment, everyone. That's a good point. Well, and that, you know, the humanity of, <laughs> again, as someone who's done both of these, you know, crying in a restaurant or <laughs> like when you're crying on the subway, you know, people are looking at you like, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's what's more human than crying on the subway? Yeah. I think nothing. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's it right there. Oh. But anyway, to Amber and Ryan at the end here, Something I liked about their whole storyline was it was just nice to see two characters be awkward around each other mm -hmm. rather than having instant flawless chemistry. And I think they had chemistry in their own way enough that I'm interested in seeing them together more. Yeah. But it didn't feel like, for instance, like Sarah and Mark, who just it's like, well, they should do like a vaudeville routine. They're <laughs> they're so in sync. Yeah. Just because dating is often very awkward. And so it was nice to see that. Side note. Yeah. I had no idea. Uh, uh, what is it? There's something about Raymond, life with Raymond. Oh, yeah. Everybody <laughs> loves Raymond. No idea he was on the show yeah. at all. <laughs> Were you taken aback that he's sort of attractive? Because I was the first time I watched this. I was like, wait, what? I thought he was just... Like Seinfeld light and not cute at all and just fussy, you know? Like yeah, that was my impression yeah. and I'd never seen that show either. And then he's on this and I'm like, he's strangely cute, even though I hate him. He's totally. messing with my favorite couple. Um, but whatever, we'll get into that later. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Got, okay. Yeah. All right. I don't mean to push my agenda. You, sh you should feel about him however you want. <laughs> oh, no, I, I'm into him. I was just guessing like, oh, I think she's picking the wrong guy. But again, this is one ep I've watched one oh, episode. Oh, fun. So. This is going to be good. Okay. <laughs> this is going to be really good. Um, but yeah, Amber and Ryan, I, yes, I, I want to make it clear too, when I said before about gentlemen, I've never used that word. I don't know if I even like it. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> but I, I will say, I don't think there's anything wrong with two people like not waiting, you know, two people who are, you know, of age and consenting and they like each other, go ahead, have sex on the first date. I don't care. But I said it because she keeps doing that with people who that like were just using her for sex as it turns out. And I think 
sometimes the only way to be really sure, I guess, that someone really likes you for you and will respect you is maybe to hold on a bit. So even though I think, yeah, it can work out great. It just hasn't been for her. It's just been, (laughs) you know, people kind of using her, I feel like. So that's that. I wanted to clarify that in case I sounded like a Puritan before. I didn't mean to. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I mean, I related to, I, dated somebody I was in a relationship for a long time and one of the first people I dated afterwards it was very nice and we'd go on a date and then it'd be like great I'll see you you know what are you doing next Tuesday yeah like a week away and I was so perplexed like wait don't you want to see me tomorrow <laughs> right <laughs> you know? yeah and now a couple years after that fact when I'm you know, in a different middle state, I'm like, oh, I get that. That makes sense. Like, it's, you know, I'm a little older. It doesn't, everything doesn't have to be so immediate like it it was or what I, you know, the last time I was single and dating. Yeah. Decades ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes I sense. also liked something that I related to while I, I didn't literally relate to coming back from war, believe it or not. What? But I have felt <laughs> as life post pandemic Mm. is resuming that I feel like I just don't quite remember how to be around people. (laughs) And that's universal. Yeah. I I mean, I hope it is because it's just some of those basic social skills of like, how do I make small talk with someone? Mm -hmm. You don't, you invite them on your podcast and you talk about life and death. That's (laughs) That's how I do. It's like, that's the structure I need and the boundaries I need in order to talk about anything. But it was strange that that, Through that, I sort of felt like that must be what he would be dealing with coming back from a war. Like, how Mm -hmm. do you come back to mundane, everyday life, go into a Mexican restaurant on a first date? What do you talk about? Yeah. And now you add having to do that shivering cold in a Southern Baptist Christmas pageant shed in the bike lane, (laughs) you know? Oh, I see. <laughs> At first, I was Sorry. like, "What the hell?" Are you but that's what Sorry, restaurants no. in New York are now. That's what yes. going. Yes, now, now, not only like coupled with having to see people again, but you're having to do it shivering on the side of the street. Oh my god! Okay, on that's a, first a perfect date. description. I just it took me a second. See, these are the skills Sorry. that are rusty. Mm-hmm. No, I get that, that was a certain. <laughs> That was a circuitous reference. I'm sorry. The joy is in the journey. Yes. I just think all the shacks on this, the restaurant shacks look like, if you grew up in the in the South like I did, they look like the manger set yeah. from the church Christmas pageant. And you're like shivering and like, uh, you know, first date so in a bike lane. Those are all going to yes. go so well. Those are all going to lead yeah. to marriage. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm rooting for them. I hope they last the seasons. They are really cute. I I think they're adorable already, yeah. Well, one of the other things that happened in the previous episode is Julia quit her job. Mm. So now she's a stay-at-home parent. We don't really get much fallout from that. But we get the scene of her, you know, making the schedule for people to sit with Adam. And I wrote down, while it's an awfully broad choice to show her making spreadsheets and trying to facilitate conference calls... I thought it got the point across pretty well that she is not the type to, you know, just drastically transform her behavior and that maybe her decision was a little hasty that, oh, I actually really like work. What have I done? (laughs) That's a good point. I, she barely did anything in this episode. And yet I kept thinking, 
she did so much with the little scenes she had. I'm like, God, Erica Christensen is really a terrific actor. And I, it made me almost angry that she was underused in this episode and in a lot of episodes. I don't know. I was just like, look at her just making gold out of this like pittance they've dealt her it's <laughs> just like so natural even when she just delivered that kind of silly line about you know i don't know how to patch people in from home like it was just beautifully delivered i'm like they should give you more to do you should have cancer no I'm just, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> she would have done much a beautiful Melissa job loves her she's with cancer <laughs> now who plays her in the film just so i, I it's the oh. non-famous woman. Melissa yeah, knows no, her name. Oh, I do. Uh, Harley Jane Kozak. She was in Wow. When Harry Met Sally as Billy Crystal's ex-wife in one scene, if that helps. I absolutely that does. <laughs> when they're wearing wearing the, they're in the sharper image yeah, and he's like singing, singing on the thing. Yes. And the, yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's her. I, I could perfectly picture her now. Oh, Thank good. you. You're welcome. <laughs> oh, look at this match made in heaven here. Yay. <laughs> I mean, I never forget when somebody sings a Rogers and Hammerstein show's tune in a movie. Come right. on. You can't. Of course, yes. Perfect. <laughs> Well, that's all I have on Julia. <laughs> she really, it was not a storyline. It was, you know. Yeah. I, I, will, I will admit to not picking up on her too much. I assumed there was more in other episodes. Yeah. but Yeah. Well, also on the short end of the storyline <laughs> stick was Crosby in this episode. I do want to note that Crosby begging for a chance to prove he's responsible yeah. is quite a change from him at the beginning of the series. I, mm -hmm. I, I was struck by it in that scene where he's like practically begging Adam to give him <laughs> responsibility. I will say that storyline and like the scene with him and Six Feet Under, Peter Krause. Yes. See? Yeah. <laughs> I knew it. Okay, thank you. I knew, um, that felt a little forced. Like I even will admit I was a bit like, oh, is the writing on this show always like this? Because it, it just felt a little hokey like let me walk the dog. Let me pick up the food. Like <laughs> that felt a little, a little for, and clearly like I was like, well, the dog's going to get attacked yeah. and he's not going to pick up the food. Like I, you do I, see I that exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. That is totally true. Yeah. No, very good point. I had sort of conflicting thoughts. Like one of my thoughts was, Crosby, this is not how help works, where you burden someone <laughs> with assigning you a task. <laughs> like, Your need yes. to help. <laughs> I thought, that's so terrible. But then, shamefully, my other conflicting thought was, I feel this so hard. Because like I'm married to just the most responsible man on the planet. And my attempts to be helpful are so feeble and <laughs> terrible. <laughs> I'll, I'll be in the kitchen like, can I pick up this wooden spoon and stir something? <laughs> like, is there anything I can do? And he's like, I've really, I've got it. And I just, and I feel like sometimes when I do try to help, I make everything worse. So <laughs> I did really feel for him. I'm like, it is sort of hard to be the person who's a little bit hapless. Not that Adam made him feel that way. Not that my husband makes me feel this way. No, but just you know it inside your own head as Crosby does and I do. So I thought I'd mention that, that it, you do want to do something sometimes. Like it, it, it is hard to feel helpless, but you're right. You knew where this was going. He's going <laughs> to fuck it all. <laughs> so. I did love seeing him display love for Christina. I mean, he even mm -hmm. says it when he comes back to the hospital at the end. Well, I love Christina too. 
And I thought back to a time when they were not getting along so great. Back to when Crosby was having a yelling match with Christina while she was pregnant, you know. And that made her go into labor. <laughs> made her. I mean, she yeah, was going to go. She was going to pop yeah. any second. But but yes. And it was just nice to think back to those moments and see that that's what family is like. Yeah, you have an argument that doesn't mean you stop having a relationship. You patch things up and you move on and you still actually love each other through all of it. I think also that this was all around not that it would matter at this point, but that it was all around an in-law. You know, mm-hmm. she's not one of the Braverman siblings, but she is because yeah, she's so entrenched in the family. I mean, I'm kind of jumping ahead to my thoughts on the whole episode. But mm. the way that this one thing had all these ripple effects was yeah. what I thought the most beautiful thing about the episode is that someone's in need and the whole family sort of is in response mode. Yeah. It was really nice. One of my favorite scenes was the four siblings at the hospital in the waiting room. And I thought that was really just beautiful. And it was like funny and it was also sad. It just, it like had such range and you got to see that really great chemistry that they all have. Yeah. Well, someone not so deprived for drama in this episode was Sarah, <laughs> the good. third sibling. That's very good. We're dealing with fallout from her actions in the last episode where she, on a whim, decided to move in with Mark. And it's really happening fast. Yeah. Oh, and, and in case that, I mean, I think that she tells this to Adam. So, Stephen, you probably got this. But yeah, last episode, her boss, Ray Romano, just kisses her. And yeah, she deals with it by not telling her fiance and just like moving in with him. You pre- that was all clear? You got that? <laughs> that was clear. Okay. Uh, yes, okay. yes. No, has there been like sexual tension with Ray Romano? Or was that out of nowhere in the last episode? I think there's been tension. Like there's been banter and they get along. I feel like the show was like forecasting it. And I was like, no, because I, yeah, but we'll, we'll get into that. But um yeah, like I will say, just coming from that, I couldn't tell if it was a these are like two viable suitors or something just random. Happened. I do think that he definitely likes her. Well, he said it in the last episode. I think any attraction on her part, she's still not clear about. Or she's trying to stuff it down. I yeah. feel like maybe, like she maybe is, but doesn't want to be because she wants to be with the person she's with or she wants to want him she wants to want to be with him i don't know you're the man i want, I want. to want <laughs> that's oh it. that's a good line where was that that was, was that? her in gilmore girls <laughs> <laughs> okay so actually i was i was just about to ask you again yeah I've watched one episode this seems like a very similar character to her character on gilmore girls in many ways yes yeah yeah single mom Real good friends with her daughter. A little bit down on her luck. Well, and even this new thing with, like, Hank, Ray Romano. Caleb, you even pointed out to me that if he lives above <laughs> his workplace, that's so Luke. And I'm yeah, like, oh, my as God. as does Luke. So the curmudgeon yeah. parallel, which sounds yeah. like a bad, uh, like, love them novel. <laughs> the curmudgeon parallel. <laughs> <laughs> but it it continues. Well, and we've talked about yeah. this too. If you're a Gilmore Girls fan, like literally her fiance right now is Max Medina. Like it's her kids 
English teacher. And so it's just really interesting. And then she's also got some stuff an going on. Yeah, an ex-husband, that's John Corbett, but that's so so that's the that's the father of her kids. So like the three main love interests on Gilmore Girls are basically replicated here. And I'm like <laughs> And I'm guess I'm guessing she has a tumultuous relationship with her parents. <laughs> actually, her that's dad. pretty different. She actually they, has a pretty solid okay. they love the shit. They love her. I'm cursing so much more than usual. Go for I it. Go it's nighttime. Well, it's because he told he told us it was explicit. Yeah. Look, we're like, said, we gotta live up to it. <laughs> we've got the rating. I was given permission. So you're just following through. That's right. <laughs> anyway. Well, let's discuss this move and the way it's impacting Drew. Who, you know, I Drew was the son. Yeah. I wonder if she, uh, in the pizza parlor, <laughs> the end of the last episode, when she just threw out, let's move in together. If she remembered that she has a kid has a still son. at home. <laughs> Drew. Someone can drive me, it's fine. Honey, I'm sorry if this doesn't feel good to you. It's just new, you know? It, you'll, it'll, yeah. Mark loves you and, and... All right, I mean, it has nothing to do with Mark. He's great, he's super nice. It's just, like, you pick up and move me in the middle of my senior year, and, you know, I'm gonna be moving again soon, and it just sucks. Now I live it's with not Mr. Sear, like a teacher. He's not Mr. Sear. He's gonna be your stepfather, and this way, when you come back from college, this will already feel like home. You know, okay, I wanted us all to live under the same You didn't think about that when you first made this decision. You know, yes, now I you're did. piecing it together. I but... thought you would be happy. You no, know, you I... literally made the decision and told me that I'm moving. Like you didn't even think about me at all. He's right. She's wrong. <laughs> I thought this was incredible writing and incredible performances. Oh, cool. Everything and and even the way just listening back to it, the way they're talking over each other, the way. It's not overly dramatic. Nobody's yelling at each other. It This feels like a really honest, really truthful conversation mm-hmm. that would happen between these two people that I've known for 20 minutes. Watching <laughs> yeah. this Seeing one episode. But I, th- I thought this was really great writing and really great performance. I totally agree. I really love that, like you said, that it didn't get dramatic and that... He's so smart, you know, for him to even be able to articulate, yeah, you didn't think of this though. You're thinking of it now. You're piecing this together. I'm like, man, that is such a good call out, but it didn't feel too convenient to me. Like, oh, the writers knew it. So they put those words in his mouth. Like it felt like he would have picked up on that. And, you know, I like that he gives her some looks when she says something that he finds a little you know, suspect, like, uh, like Mark loves you. I mean, and Mark is very nice to him, but like, I think he's like, are we there? Does he love me? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and like, uh, oh, I thought you'd be happy. And he's got like, did you? <laughs> I'd be happy did living you? with my teacher, <laughs> you know, like this. Yeah, it's a really good point. Well, and just jumping ahead to their resolution, mm-hmm. the resolution was pretty sudden, but to me, it didn't feel too easy. And I think it, it's helped by the way it was set up, it wasn't a big blowout fight. It was just, a, you know, uncomfortable disagreement and discussion. And I I think that there are sometimes those conflicts where you're totally willing to deal with them as long as the other person acknowledges what's going on. And that's mm-hmm. what it felt like was happening here. That I feel like Drew was like, I'll adapt to this and it'll be fine and I'll do it for you because I recognize it's important to you. But don't pretend like... <laughs> yeah, this was your plan all along. And once you acknowledge that, as she does, props mom, then he's willing to get over it. 
Yeah, no one likes being that gaslighted. That felt real to me. Yeah, know? it's like, like I mean, it's mild. It's not like, but you know, he. Yeah, he knew. stop telling me that this was. <laughs> yeah. You thought it would be the best thing for me. Yeah. You just well, thought about her, what you wanted to do. Yeah, and her coming in that scene later when she comes in and says, "You're right. I did the. You know, I thought that was really lovely." Yeah, me too. And it would make a person generous, you know, like to, it would make a person be like, okay, you gave, now I can give. Yeah. Yeah. And how yeah. nice of him to go like watch TV with this guy who's 12 years older than him. <laughs> that's, true. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. But I, I did love that. And the, the way I, I always think that's a nice touch on any show, but this show does it so well that a way to sort of resolve like a tense moment is just through like really subtle, natural humor, you know, like Mark's watching cable. He has no idea what he's doing. Like that's, that's funny. And <laughs> and for her to be like, Oh, I better go, you know, rescue him. We, we, we got to deal with that. Like that was really nice. I enjoyed that. So elsewhere in Sarah's life, she's also dealing with the fallout of Hank kissing her last week. I did appreciate that Hank seems to be owning that he did something inappropriate mm -hmm. for whatever that's worth. Maybe my question to you is how much is that worth? <laughs> that's a good question. I don't know. Cause it was a little, I would imagine to her creepy to see <laughs> him coming to her place when she I said, I I'm not coming into work will. today. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but now I'm at your home. That's true. I didn't even <laughs> think of that until just now. That's funny. So I don't know if it makes it okay. I mean, my husband, my Mark, and I were talking about this the other day, actually, and I was like, I just, I'm having trouble knowing what to think about this. And my Mark was like, well, that's because this this wouldn't happen. And he loves parenthood, so he's not just meaning to diss the show, but he's like, this to me is the most like ludicrous situation. He's just like, she would probably quit her job. That's sexual harassment, you know? And he's just like, I don't understand why she's like, no, no, I'm staying. And now they're both lying to her fiance together. That upset me. Like how quickly Hank came up with a really great, believable lie. I'm like, that is a red flag. Like that he was instantly like, I brought the dolly. Oh, he's good and at lying. Yeah. I'd be also, like, why, did, yeah. why does he have a dolly in his car? Like, well, he has a is he toting around dead bodies? <laughs> Why you got a dolly? It's like, do you need a dolly for photography? I don't know I mean, anything. It, and does he drive a truck or is there like a dolly in the back of his Camry? That's like, you know, that's more sus. Like that doesn't fit in there. <laughs> that, is, that is a good point. Why do you have a dolly? Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what it's worth. I mean, I think if someone kissed me inappropriately and then said, hey, sorry, and just kept bringing it up all the time and is like, I'm not going to do it again. And then came to my house and said, you know. I, I don't know. I, I would probably be upset, but she seems to like him. Speaking of inappropriate kissing. If you just do something to help me take my mind off it, tell me what's going on with you. <laughs> In the hospital there, they so were So much crackling chemistry. Crackling, yeah. Like, just ditch Mark and Hank and just be with your brother. <laughs> just move somewhere so you don't have to explain it to anyone. <laughs> yeah. But no, I totally thought so too. That scene was like very kind of flirty and like punchy and like, nah, he's way older than me. <laughs> yeah, like... well, I want to I want to talk about this. So let's let's dissect her okay. scene with Adam. Hank kissed me. The photographer has. Yeah. What? At work. Yes. I just you never know. Okay. Well, this is good. Give me give me some more. What, really? what happened? 
I, we're in the dark room and we're like developing. In the dark room? What are you in seventh Shut grade? Up. No. Oh, and did he, you kiss him back? Just, ew, no. I mean, not ew, but no. I mean, I didn't recoil in horror or anything, but I. You like the guy? No, no, no. You sure? It just made me feel. There's no generation gap there. Yes, there is. He's way older than me. Shut up. What? I don't just... I feel weird because it made me jump on the moving in with Mark thing. I mean, it didn't make me do that, but I stirred something up, I guess, and... Mm -hmm. I don't know what I'm doing. Well, you should do what feels good. Life is short. Okay, what the... Fuck. Because... <laughs> this is, this is like Folger's Christmas commercial <laughs> level. <laughs> Sarah knows exactly what she's doing. And I thought that I was on to her, you know, but I didn't realize how on to herself she was. And here she mm -hmm. is just laying it out that, yeah, I'm moving in with Mark because of this kiss. And then she tries to walk it back, but she doesn't really. Mm -hmm. And and then I thought Adam was being crazy permissive about the whole thing. It's like, why does no one take her relationship with Mark seriously? Everyone keeps introducing him as her friend. Yeah. And, yeah. If, and if someone close to me who was engaged yeah. told me that they kissed someone else, I'd be shocked. I wouldn't be curious if they were going to go for it, let alone telling them, like, life is short. Do no. what feels good. <laughs> what? Okay, this reminds me of an episode of Blossom. Stay with me. <laughs> <laughs> but there's this episode of Blossom where there's like some sort of misunderstanding. Blossom is like in a roundabout way talking about losing her virginity, like having sex for the first time with her boyfriend, Dave. What was his Vinny? name? Vinny, yes. What was his name in real life? David, David Lasher. Lasher. Yeah, David Lasher. <laughs> From so hey she dude. Was, yes, she wanted to sleep with Vinny, but she didn't say those words to her dad. But she was like, you know, when should we like in life go for things? When should we be more careful? You know, so in a roundabout way, asking her dad's advice. But her dad had just like his best friend had just had like a heart attack and he was super young and healthy and he never ate hamburgers, you know, and yet he had a heart attack. And so her dad in this like days was basically like, you just got to go for shit. You got to go for what you want. Eat the hamburger. And Blossom's like, I should. And he's like, yeah. And then I think later in the episode, he's like, wait, I think I know what she, I think I gave her the wrong advice. <laughs> like he goes back and revisits. But it made me think of that sort of where, because of where someone is, you know, like Adam yeah. may not have given this advice if his wife weren't you know, where she is. So I thought that was like an interesting thing because normally I think he, he gave much better advice to Crosby when Crosby was like, should I cheat on Jasmine? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. So anyway, you're right. That was really bad advice. And what a strange conversation they had. And I just, I can't decide, am I glad that Sarah knows exactly what she's doing or does it make me even more angry? My gut is it makes me even more angry. Like, I'd forgive her if she's like, I'm confused. and I, But now it just seems like I'm doubling down on Mark because I'm suppressing these feelings. Yeah. Okay, that's a bad idea. That's very well put. I mean, I think if she were really healthy, she would probably have talked to Mark about what happened and said, honestly, I felt something and that scared me. But then you have to acknowledge that she does actually have those feelings. Whereas if you just pretend like they don't exist, you don't have to acknowledge that they yeah. exist. Yeah, that's exactly it. And we as humans are very good at that. True, true. Yeah. How's this for a tangent? 
There's a room divider that is visible in the background of the waiting room when Julia and Crosby come back. That is exactly like the dividers I remember from the activity center of my church growing up. (laughs) They're a different color, but otherwise they are exactly the same. I don't know who this shout out is for exactly, (laughs) but here it is because I was watching it the second time and I was like, oh my gosh, look at those room dividers. Wow. I did not notice them. Were they the accordion style? Yeah, the kind that like run on a track in the ceiling. and Yeah. Again, I didn't see what he's seeing. I'm just going back to thinking about church room dividers. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I'm just assuming I know exactly what they look like. So, hey, that's maybe who the shout out is for. Oh, (laughs) and I was right here all along. (laughs) I love that. Well, (laughs) I will say here's another thing that my husband, Mark, and I talked about. Uh, with this episode, I was like, you know what? Here's what bothers me. If Hank really cares about Sarah, he just shouldn't kiss her because she's in a relationship with someone else. Wouldn't the show be better if he was just silently pining for her and couldn't have her and it was torture for him to work with her, but he knew he had to treat her well? And Mark's like, well, that's not good TV. That's boring. And I, I, I couldn't think of it in the moment. And I'm like, no, that would work. And then I realized, oh, that was Luke and Lorelai. That was, that was it. He just <laughs> suffered while she dated everyone in the world except for him. And that went on for years. I'm like, you know what? If Luke could do it, why can't you, Hank? You're both grumpy and you both live above your place of work. I don't know. Like, yeah. Well, why I think that wouldn't work is because it's Ray Romano. Mm. So clearly watching it, it's not like some actor I don't know. Right. In my mind, I was thinking, well, if Parenthood LLC <laughs> is paying whatever Ray Romano's rate is, yeah, surely he's got he's got to be a true romantic foil in the course of the story. You're so right, of course. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. But also I think there's a middle ground in terms of the character's behavior between, yeah, no. between silently <laughs> suffering yeah. and kissing someone without consent in the dark room. In the dark room. <laughs> I think maybe, yeah, maybe he pines for a while and then he tells her or she finds out or she suspects and he confirms it or, so, you know. Yeah, she accidentally That's finds a his diary. Because mo- honestly... <laughs> I'm kidding. Wait, are we talking about Blossom? <laughs> Perfect. Because honestly, if he did what he did, he risks her being so rightly offended by that mm-hmm. that, you know, for instance, she quits her job. Right. Or being just hugely offended. Yeah. The risk of telling her is a lot less, I mean, compared to that. I don't. Although she might quit her job then, too. Well, my boss is in love with me and he told me. What kind of kiss are we talking about exactly in this dark room? Describe it to me in detail. (laughs) (laughs) They were developing a picture of his 11-year-old daughter who he's been having trouble connecting with, and she helped him sort of get there. And so he's feeling very grateful and good. And a Lumineer song is playing, if that helps. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Yep. <laughs> and it's a gentle, a gentle, friendly kiss or like a... Uh, no, more gentle. Yeah. It was kind of tentative. she was not expecting it. She was caught off and, guard, but I think she did kiss him back. Yeah. I was going to say, does she kiss into it or what does she do? I think for a moment and then pulls away. That's what I yeah. think. What do you think, Caleb? Yeah, do I felt think- like she accepted it and then after a little bit gently pushed him away and she was very gentle but she goes like 
Hank, like kind of grinning at him, like like admonishing, but you know that that wasn't appropriate, don't you? So that's it. That's that's so. Yeah, it was not a. um, I mean, yeah. To say like like, he kissed her without consent is technically true, but maybe has a connotation that is more violent than. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What actually happened. Yeah, I think she... Pro- he I did mean, not take now- her in the dark room. <laughs> <laughs> right. I do right. wonder if she could have, like, stopped it. You know, like, like it was tentative enough that I wonder if she could have seen this was happening. Or, you know, now I need to watch it again to see if, like, it t- totally caught her off guard. Or if she was like, okay, and then no. You know, I'm, I'm not really sure. It's a good question. Hmm. Yeah. I feel like we should all just pause for a moment and pull it up and I know, show I you. <laughs> <laughs> we can. Well, we it was on the to. previously on. Oh yeah. But right. Very. But it didn't have the Lumineer song. It had the like sound. Yeah. It had the recap music. Yeah, the recap music. Does the show? Because I know some shows can't use the same music they used when they originally aired. Hmm. Do, do you feel like this show does have all the original music? I think it does. I might be wrong, but when I you would look think so up too. the music, it has the same songs that are on as I'm watching them. I wondered it when we were talking about them playing Lach Lomond on the piano, which they're not really, but it sounded like. Um, if, oh, maybe this was something else that didn't get. Because I think Dawson's Creek oh. sort of famously doesn't have the original music, right? No, and like not just for the theme song, which is heartbreaking enough, but like <laughs> there's this song that's supposed to be Kiss the Rain and instead it's this weird like heavy metal music and I was like, what the right. hell is happening? This is yeah. this is not Kiss the Rain. I had to like go find it online to soothe my soul on my last yeah. Dawson's Creek rewatch. Um, so there's God. that. Yeah. Your last, how many have there been? <laughs> Probably four or five. <laughs> What's wrong <gasps> with me? I love Dawson's Creek. Nothing. Well, here's the thing. You know, I've, and I'm exactly the age that should have watched Dawson's Creek. Yeah. And I never did. I didn't watch it when it was on. I don't remember why or no. what else I was doing, but I, I've i never watched Dawson's Creek. I think Creek. Joshua Jackson was the real reason for me. But yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. I had a pretty oh. big crush on him and, you know. See, I think I would have to be pretty basic. I think I would have been a James Vanderbeek. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I, I think it's too much of a like a floofy blonde hair Zach Morris correlation for me. <laughs> you know, but, you know that also directly from one to the other. That also checks out. It really does. <laughs> all right, back to parenthood. <laughs> <laughs> are we all dead mothers yet? <laughs> I think we are. Did we have more to say? I did want to, there was a dangling thread that you said, Stephen, where you were like, I think she might be picking the wrong man. Did you want to talk about that based on this episode? Like, did you find Ray Romano more appealing? Oh, and I have lots to say about the cable thing. So yes, there's more to say. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, not so much if he's the right man, but again, I assume because you have, you're hiring Ray Romano to be on the show. I have to think he's going to be, not knowing the show, this being my first episode, Either he already was, because we've talked about that it was just, you know, it was just this kiss, but like I assumed, oh, maybe there's already been a sexual tension thing, or it's certainly going to be. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess I was sort of assuming we're setting up the penniless artist or <laughs> teacher or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And and the successful businessman, although if he's a photographer who doesn't do weddings, I guess he's not <laughs> that successful of a businessman. Based on this one episode, if you were Sarah and had to choose, who would you choose? Oh, good question. Yeah, based on just the information in this episode. Just in the, I mean, 
just an episode and what we've chatted about a little bit, I will, I will use that as well. I mean, I'd pick Jason Ritter because he's cute and charming and I don't know, Ray seems a little bit of a sad sack right now. And again, like he's got a dolly in his Honda Civic, which is <laughs> questionable. Yeah. Questionable at best. So, you know. Well, yeah, I kind of said this earlier, but but Sarah and Mark might be my favorite couple on the whole show. I, I love Jason Ritter. I love Lauren Graham. I think their chemistry together is so fantastic. It's just light. It's bantery. I feel like you don't see it as much in season four because they are pushing Ray Romano undermining so him so much yes and it <laughs> bothers me and and it's interesting though because they're not like suddenly making Jason Ritter's character less appealing or something this episode was exactly what I love about him he, yeah I like, suppose we should be thankful for that too. yeah I am glad because sometimes shows will do that they'll just retcon someone and make them adult or something so that you'll like the other guy more I am grateful they're not doing that I mean which is like, kind of what they did with Alex I'm sorry to keep interrupting you but yeah that, but no they and it was did. something I never realized before not that there was another love interest but it was clear he and Hattie were going to break up and like well let's turn him into a criminal or like, yeah let's just change what? his character he lied about this what yeah. is I, he the English teacher at the school he's the English teacher yeah I'm assuming just because the book references yeah well and to be fair I'm also a high school English teacher so I'm sure I find yes. that appealing but I just the idea that I mean <laughs> yes I was admiring your books for the listeners I'm gesturing to the giant wall of books I'm sitting I know in front of. I love it I love your whole zoom situation but just the fact that like he managed not to sound pretentious when he said he got rid of his cable because he wasn't reading his books. I'm like, that is a hard line to say in a non-pretentious way. <laughs> and he really pulled it off, you know, and, and I thought it was just kind of sweet that he was like, oh, yeah, I was wasting time. So I, I got rid of it. But like he immediately gets it back as a gesture for Drew so that he will feel more comfortable in his home. And the way that he tries to do it so like offhandedly, like like not like like I feel like some people would be like, you see what I'm doing for you? Uh, you know, he just like tries to kind of like shrug it off like, oh, yeah, it's fine. Somebody's covering my class. No worries. You know, and he just like does it all quietly. And then what really got me was that that ending when all three of them are watching cable together. And he was like, this is so great. I'm never reading a book again. And I'm like, that is so charming and funny. And like, uh, I just loved it. I have to say, I think everything that happened in that apartment mm -hmm. was really great writing and really great performances. Yeah. That nothing felt forced. Again, back to the conversation with the mom and the son felt really great. And, and this stuff felt really honest between the two of them. Like, they're both just like, hey, dude, I know this is weird for both of us. <laughs> yeah. and but it felt really like, again, there was no yelling. There was, yeah. it felt very organic and props to everything everything that happened in that setting. Oh, totally. And you know, something about this show, they shoot most scenes with multiple cameras at once. So that allows the actors to talk over each other with much less fuss than if they were doing right. traditional coverage. And they let actors sort of improvise around the script. Mm. And I wonder if what you're responding to is not necessarily great writing, but actually <laughs> great, acting. great adapting mm. the writing into yeah. a more natural performance. Because that's something that I think Jason Ritter and Lauren Graham mm. really are probably, I mean, I don't know this, I've never compared the script page to their scenes, but a lot of times when they're talking, it's just clear, like, there's no way someone wrote this down in advance. Yeah. Well, and the kid. Yeah. I mean, as he's far as, good. like, he's good, too. And the scene with him and Lauren, like, 
he's not phased by that. He's rolling with it. He's doing it too. It, it, you know, that's however it ends up being, whether from the writer's room, them setting them up with the great prompts or the great starting place and allowing that to be the language of the show, yeah. which then also the way it's filmed, it, that's just everybody firing on cylinders to make really great material. Yeah. No, totally. Firing on all cylinders. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's go to the final storyline. <laughs> there it is. And the reason I've been invited here today. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> well, to, yes. <laughs> to mention that, I will say that I thought of you a lot when I knew the storyline was coming up. So Hattie, the daughter, was a regular on the show the first three seasons. And then at the beginning of this season, the character left the show to go to college at Cornell. So she's on the opposite side of the country. But now she's already back because her mom has been diagnosed with cancer. And knowing it was coming up, it did make me think of you because I was at Anastasia with you when you were far away from your own mom battling cancer. Yes. <laughs> that was a really good, that was a good heavy sigh into the microphone. That was good. <laughs> That's true. Wait, let, let me do one too. <laughs> oh man but yeah it's uh that's a lot well and there's a we'll get to it. there's a uh i was deeply deeply affected by a moment almost at the end of the episode that that was rang very very true to life oh. uh for me let's just go there what was it well yeah i'll say so so the so it was definitely i was like watching my life on oh. on screen because my, my mom so my mom has, let's see, what's the timeline? My mom died in 2018. Is that right, Caleb? <laughs> we were, t- I, we were together. I mean, we were three, together. Three then. years ago. Yeah. yeah. Three years ago. So it was three years ago. So that's 2018. She had cancer for about eight years. So I, wow. I think it's maybe 2010 is the first, when it first happened. And I would go back and forth. Over those eight years, I spent a lot of time in waiting rooms, just like we see in this episode, and a lot of times with family, mm-hmm. and a lot of times with family in the room with my mom. And so there was there was a lot that I could very, very much relate to. But one of the things that really grabbed me the deepest was the moment where they come in after the consultation with the doctor at the end, and they're saying, no, no, everything's fine. You've got to go back to New York. <laughs> Specifically New York, Which, even. Specifically New York. Oh. <laughs> and for me, I found over the course of that time, parents, whether or not they're doing it willfully not telling you so that you'll live your life, which I think certainly does factor into it, parents aren't necessarily great at telling you how bad something is. Mm-hmm. I, I found that definitely, you know, even towards the end when it was, was bad, nobody really, well, it wasn't until my sister-in-law props to her, basically called me and said, you need to come home. Wow. And and it was a little bit of a shock because I thought, well, mom and dad haven't said anything about yeah. that. And it's because they they want you to live your life. They want you to do your thing. And so that that very much for me was very, very real. Very, very real. Watching her them say, no, you need to go back, go back to your life, go back to New York <laughs> and live your life was was very powerful and beautiful and very touching for me. Wow. I'm I'm t- assuming you didn't judge Adam and Christina, the parents, too harshly for essentially lying to their daughter. No, again, it it just it felt very real to me, I, and I I don't yeah. think about my parents lying in any way. I think just the nature of things and 
when you do live away from family, they were just trying to continue on with life and in Team Malone's way, <laughs> stiff upper lip, you know, pull up your bootstraps and get on with it. We were all just sort of trying to do that. And I never felt that my parents lied to me about how bad things were. It just, you know, life just kind of sneaks up on you mm. and nobody wants to admit how bad something can be. So it was like the little hints with my mom. It was like, I would call her phone, but my dad would answer. Mm. Mm. I was like, well, that's new. That's different. Or the little hints that were never like, you need to come home. It was just like, oh, I think things are worse than anybody's telling me. Yeah. So I don't, I don't even think of it as lying on their point. I think of it as just wanting, you know, they don't have all the information yet. So they don't want this person to change their life at this moment when she was so ready to do that. That makes me glad to hear because I had a strong reaction to that last I scene. Too. I was really upset with them. I was too. Oh, really? And I, cause I understand what you're saying and we had seen them in the previous episode, definitely minimizing things and mm -hmm. saying, you know, we don't know yet. Cause that was when they had just found the lump and surgery was the next step, but what hadn't happened yet. And she was back at school and they were saying, it's fine. Don't worry about it. And she even had a, a moment in the last episode, Hattie with her dad, where she said, can you please talk to me like an adult Yeah, and be honest? And he was, he told her everything he knew that I really understood not wanting it to derail your kid's life. This, I think maybe because it was back to back with the scene where they got the news about the cancer was different than they thought mm -hmm. to look her in the eye and say, I'm cancer free. Mm -hmm. just so that she would go back. I was like, this is wrong. You're not telling her what the doctor told you. And I wondered who would actually do that. And and these characters to me didn't quite, I didn't quite buy that they would do it. I was like, I get that they would say you have to go back, but I don't know. Just hearing mm. that it at least rang true to you makes me a little more graceful well, to them, and if I, that's the right use of that word. I totally hear what you're saying, and I totally understand that. I think maybe what it shows a little bit is there is such, there's such confusion, and I experienced this going to the doctor with my mom or them going to the doctor and then calling me, and I would have questions, and they'd be like, I, I, yeah. I don't know, I don't really remember, I don't remember what he said. There's sort of so much everything is actually sort of so vague around all of it. There are no, I mean, let me preface this if, in case anyone was confused. I'm not a doctor. Uh, <laughs> I do in fact play the piano and wave my arms for a living. Um, <laughs> but everything is so nebulous around it. And these heavy life things where it's like, you've got cancer, literally happen in like a 15 minute conversation. And you sort of leave the room like, what just happened? Wait, mm. what did they tell us? So I even felt more in that moment, to me, it was seeing these people actually being confused, not having all the information, just knowing that their one priority is we got to get our kid back to school. Yeah. That that was actually the beacon in the midst of the confusion. So I didn't even register it so much as them lying to her as just being like, this is the easiest way and technically I'm cancer free, but it's, you know, it was, mm. it rang very true to me as my experience of just the haze of particularly, I mean, truly you leave these offices and it's just a haze of information. And what do you do? What do we, what's the next step? Oh, we don't, 
wait, this all seems so like I've got cancer, but my next appointment's in four weeks. Yeah. How can this, you know, so. And maybe even just a way of exerting control wherever you can. Yeah. Totally. Like, totally. I'm at the mercy of my doctors and whatever my own body is doing, but I can get my daughter back to school and know that she's doing well. You know, that is, this is, I'm so glad we're having this conversation because I was looking at this so differently. I could not understand what the urgency was with getting her back to school. When she said, we can get full refund for this semester and I can stay and help, I was like, great, do that. You know, I'm like, people take a gap year all the time. She wants to be here. She obviously is already helping. I I didn't really get why she had to be at Cornell right now while her mother is going through this. But Stephen, honestly, hearing you say this this eight-year process with, with your mother, I'm like, oh, right. I was thinking... She's talking about taking a semester off, but this could be eight years. Like this, this isn't necessarily right now. And if you look at it like that, which I wasn't, I, you know, I was like, what's, what's with the urgency looking at it this way, I can see why their priority would be. I don't want this to derail her life. It's already throwing ours off track. I want, want to make sure she's doing what she dreamed of doing. And maybe also, like Adam tells Sarah when he's like, go for it, you know, bad advice to, to her, like life is short, kiss whoever you want, even if you're engaged. Um, <laughs> this advice kind of makes sense, like like the idea that we need to get our daughter back in school because life is short. Why not now? Like, you know, like get your degree, get, get life going. You don't know how much time you have. So right. that is helping me, I think, understand their perspective more. A lot of times what hits me very deeply is this idea of our parents letting us go. Mm-hmm. And of course they would love to keep us there and to have us to be there in that way. But I think often for those of us who feel a draw and a need to do something specific, for myself, something that is sort of specific to being in New York City, what more could they hope for for us than to be getting to do that? And this idea of letting us go to do that is what I feel like I witnessed in that scene is is the selfless, well, maybe it involved a little lie on their part. All Mm -hmm. I saw was the selfless nature of a mother wanting to let that child go and do what they needed to do and fulfill themselves. Wow. Yeah, Caleb, I was right there with you. That's what I thought. And now you have totally turned me around. I'm like, (laughs) that's such a better way of looking at it. Because I know their intentions weren't bad. Like, you know, I mean, they they are good people. And so I think that's, I was struggling with that too. I'm like, why would you do this? You know, your daughter wants to know the truth, whatever it is. And I also sort of identify with that. Um, We've talked about this before. I want to know the truth, whatever it is, even if it's hard. I think I was more thinking of it from my point, I I would have been very upset to have been told my mom was cancer free if she wasn't, because I would have started on the path of healing, like I'm being like, I'm okay, great, everything, no more worries. Absolutely. And then I would have been blindsided with it later and feeling so upset. But I love what you just said about the selfless that, you know, like that, that they're not doing it to like mess with her, you know, obviously it's. But I hear you. Yeah. I'd be pissed too if if anybody had said <laughs> at any point, like if my mom had been like, and then you know, I, yeah. I, I totally, I, I hear I hear that as well. I also love what you said about getting bombarded with 
really complicated information yeah. and oh. just being in a fog. You know, I I look stuff up all the time <laughs> on the podcast. And something I looked up in this episode is what is her two new amplification? Oh. And <laughs> I wrote it down. I was like, well, let's see if I can possibly convey this thing I don't even understand. Because I did, I'm going to read it right now. So this is from breastcancer.org. Her two means human epidermal growth factor receptor two. That is a gene that can play a role in the development of breast cancer. Genes contain the recipes for the various proteins that a cell needs to stay healthy and function normally. The HER2 gene makes HER2 proteins, also sometimes referred to as HER2 new proteins. HER2 proteins are receptors on breast cells. Normally, those receptors help control how a healthy breast cell grows, divides, and repairs itself. But in about 10 to 20% of breast cancers, the HER2 gene doesn't work correctly and makes too many copies of itself. That is called HER2 gene amplification. All these extra HER2 genes tell breast cells to make too many HER2 receptors. That makes breast cells grow and divide in an uncontrolled way. HER2 positive breast cancers tend to grow faster and are more likely to spread and come back compared to HER2 negative breast cancers. Hmm. So all that to say, I barely understand what I just read. And (laughs) on an actual medical level, I don't understand it at all. Mm -hmm. But to be Christina and Adam and to have heard that in five minutes and then, okay, we'll make this appointment, go talk to your oncologist, here's my cell phone number, go home. Yeah. It does make me a little more compassionate about what are we going to tell our daughter who's waiting to hear what's going on. We're going to tell her to get on a plane back to New York. Totally. Even so we can figure out (laughs) what's going on. Yeah. And you always think of the questions to ask like an hour later when you're sitting at home being like, well, did we ask them this? What did they say to that? You know, and and I I was like, try to write down because <laughs> people will ask you, people have a thousand questions. Well, what is this? What do the doctors say? You know, I don't know. Yeah. Right. I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's just sort of the way it, my experience of the way it is around all of it. You know, I would have thought I couldn't relate to anything you said or anything about this particular storyline. This is such a small scale relation, but It's interesting. You know, my dad died both suddenly and over a long period of time. It's weird how it was both. Yeah. Is that, you can relate to that? Keep keep going and then, yes. My dad, it wasn't cancer, although he had cancer, but that wasn't what did it. Um, He had two major strokes when I was six and anyway, just health problems forever. And so he was always struggling from the time I was six until I was 16 when he died. And he had a heart attack. That's that's what killed him. And he was already in the hospital. I think he'd had a minor one that sent him to the hospital and then a major one that killed him. And what was really crazy was he was moved from ICU to a regular room the day he died. They thought he was going to be fine. And my dad thought, I don't know if he thought he was going to be fine or if he knew this was happening. Basically, I had been in the hospital with him the entire time. I hadn't left except to go to school. And it was Friday when he died. It was Friday night and my friends were going to the movies. And I was like, does anyone mind if I go? I've been at the hospital this whole time and I think I could use like a little break. 
I'll just be, I didn't go to ice cream after. I didn't go to dinner before. I went for two hours. He was fine when I left. He was dead when I got back. Two hour, it was insane. And I was like, wait, what? He's dead. Like, I mean, I thought he was going to be fine. So I think that's part of the blindsiding thing that I reacted to. But also, he, he, he didn't like let me go to go to New York City but he did let me go to like go to the movies. I my my husband who didn't totally. know him, but he thinks maybe my dad knew he was going to die and wanted to release me from that. Like and that's why he didn't say no, don't go, stay. I think something might happen. He was like, "Yeah, go." And that's an interesting thing to think that it's also about what the person going through it wants. It's not just if Hattie wants to be there, Christina doesn't want her there and it's nothing against her, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, so that's an interesting yeah, thing totally. that I hadn't really put together. Totally. Yeah. And I'm sure for you in that moment, it was a very, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I imagine that idea of like, I wasn't there when that happened. Yes. But to now be able to look back at it the other way and be like, maybe I was gifted with not being there <sighs> yeah. in that moment. Maybe he knew cosmically some other thing that maybe that's not what needed to happen yeah it made it so much easier to live with because I felt just terrible guilt you know and sadness for such a long time and then that perspective which I think might actually even be true you know not just I think that's really I think that's so beautiful <laughs> yeah. I think that's so beautiful you said something that I tell people all the time it's amazing how quickly and how slowly yeah something can happen at the same time. And I have two sort of converse examples of that. So my mom had cancer over eight years. So it was it was ultimately sort of a slow decline, but the end kind of happened very quickly. Yeah. Like none of us were quite, again, like I said, I mean, I had some little hints, but it wasn't until my sister-in-law was like, you need to come home. Right. And then, you know, the end actually sort of took us by surprise. But then <laughs> the actual end end, the moment came when the doctors came into the room and my brother had been there, but had gone back to work in Nashville this day. And my dad was there, but I was the one who always spent the night with my mom in the hospital. And so the doctors sort of knew me and knew my fate, you know? And so they, they actually left my dad in the room and pulled me into the hallway and said, you know, this is now the moment where we need to call in hospice. And I remember very clearly in my mind being like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm why are you telling me this? Yeah. I, I'm a child. Right. I'm a child. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm, a, I'm a kid. And then very clear in my head, be like, no, you're 40 years old <laughs> yeah. and life is happening. Yeah. So then hospice was called in and we actually, we stayed in the hospital. We didn't move to a hospice facility because they felt she was just too, they thought the move might kill her. So it felt very, very imminent. But <laughs> Then it was like two weeks in hospice in the hospital. It wasn't quite two weeks. It's it's a little shorter. So even there, sort of the opposite, yeah. like this end was very, very, but then the actual end moment sort of happened very slowly yeah. over two weeks. So time is very funny when it comes to those things and, and the way it plays out, yeah. I have found. No, absolutely. And it's really interesting to hear you just say time because I feel like time was subtly in the background of all the encounters that, all the exchanges that Adam and Christina had with Hattie, where they were just looking at this differently. And it's now I'm realizing even before then, like at the beginning of this episode, Christina says to Adam, a throwaway line, but why'd you make me reschedule my surgery? I wouldn't have missed Max's speech, you know, and mm -hmm. that would have been three weeks later. And 
three weeks might seem like a small amount of time, but when it's cancer and it turns out to be more aggressive than we thought, thank God they didn't wait three extra weeks because that could be quite a long time, even though it seems like a short amount of time. Or like Hattie being home for however long she's been home, like a week or something, they're all worried about how much time she's away from school. And Hattie's like, I'll give you a semester, I'll give you more time. And then thinking of you, like, well, that could turn into infinite amounts of time. That's just really interesting. Yeah. And a a week in college life is actually... quite big that's a lot to miss that's, that's a lot to miss that's a lot of classes that's a 16th miss. So, of oh a semester. god now i'm thinking about like all the different <laughs> yeah. variations of of size of time yeah. that could happen in the same amount of time yeah. well and i was struck in this episode that i think aside from these results at the end and then that scene with hattie afterwards Am I right that this whole episode took place over about 36 to 48 hours? I guess so. I think so. I wonder if that was purposeful. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Make, make us think about time. Uh, right? Who, who would have thought this would be like <laughs> Carl Sa- the Carl Sagan episode? Of- <laughs> Wait, Carl Sagan. That's the scientist, right? Not the, not a baseball yeah. player? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Now I can't think of the baseball player, but I know. As soon as I said it, I was like, wait a minute. No, Hold the on. wrong person. <laughs> He wrote Contact, right? Yeah. Yes. That's yes. Carl Sagan. Okay, yeah. good. And was a professor at Cornell. Oh, wow. Uh, it all just crazy. comes back to parenthood. Just uh, right back to parenthood. That. It hits on every level. Um. <laughs> well, this is not quite... Well, it is kind of about time. Maybe my favorite scene in this episode. <laughs> it's perhaps strange. I found something about that early morning scene before Christina went to surgery. Really powerful. Mm. I feel like I expected the show to maybe just cut straight to Christina, like being wheeled into the operating room, very dramatic. And and instead, being in this pre-dawn kitchen atmosphere made it feel so mundane in a really relatable way. And, yeah. and I thought, yeah, you wake up like it's any other day. Yeah. And okay, let's go off and have surgery to remove my lump. Yeah. That hit me. And I... I've never praised the lighting of a scene before, I don't think, but I'm doing it now because I thought (laughs) you could just tell what time of day it was in that scene. And I know that that is a soundstage and how they created that. And that dictates, you know, the the volume that they were all speaking at Mm -hmm. and everything. Just something about it, it really felt like, oh, you've turned cancer and school and all this stuff into a literal kitchen table issue. Yeah, that this little well, family has to navigate. And life goes on mm-hmm. no matter what. And they're still getting the kid to school. And yeah, yeah. absolutely. See, I thought you were going to say, thinking of early mornings, when it's the two of them in pre-op mm. before she, I guess, which is probably right after that. That felt very real. <laughs> Again, having sat in those rooms before the person is wheeled off, that felt very, very real. And they mentioned time there as well. He's been like, oh, God, we were waiting forever. And now it's just happening. Now you're. And it happened. So, yeah. oh, my God. That's crazy. We found the, we found the through line, y'all. <laughs> we did. <laughs> well, and that makes me think, let me take a sip of my wine since we're telling deep <laughs> cancer mom stories. Hold on. Oh Wait, let me get that in the microphone. <laughs> oh. Everyone listening with headphones thanks you right now. I'm sure. <laughs> oh, no, no, sorry. No, I love it. That's great. I remember we were in, in the room. This is, this is midway through the eight-year cancer journey. 
it was already a very invasive surgery and they did it. And then actually they didn't get everything they needed to get and had to go back in, which is horribly, horribly invasive. <laughs> As my mother, I'm sitting there just like, again, with the Malone's stout, you know, very like, as I'm, literally as my mother who had impeccable timing as she's being wheeled out of the room, looks at me and says, take care of your father. And, and she, it was one of those, I think in the moment she meant like right now I'm going cause it was daddy and I in the room. And, but like, ultimately she meant like, whoa, take care of your father. Wow. Oh my God. <sighs> You know, just the little tidbits our moms throw out as they're being wheeled off to surgery. Wow. Because oh, she would do that. She would, um, towards the last couple of years, I would, I was very, very close to my mom. If the listeners haven't picked up on this, it was very, very close to my mother. So it was just naturally like, that's the cell phone I would call. We, we were just very, that's, you know. And along the way, she started being like, here, talk to your father. And she passed the phone over. And I was like, girl, I know what you're doing. <laughs> I know what you're doing. I know what you're setting up here, which of course she actually has and did set up. And I now have this very different relationship with my father. So that's yes. beautiful. That's... Yeah. Oh yeah. That's one of the most interesting things about my mom dying from cancer. Cause my father was 12 years older than my mom. Mm-hmm. So, you know, no one ever expected that he would yeah. outlive her. Just like yeah. <laughs> he's a man and he's 12 years older. Yeah. My dad's 86 now. Wow. In great shape. Amazing. But, you know, he- here we are suddenly like at 41 and 86, sort of forming this new relationship yeah. that's wonderful and beautiful that we have had to slash been gifted with discovering each other without my mother. Yeah. Well, let me tell you, that just made me see something else in this episode differently because I was a little, I don't know what the word is, uncomfortable maybe with how concerned Christina was with Max's, sorry, dumb speech. Like, who cares? (laughs) You know, I mean, which actually the speech itself ended up being kind of beautiful and I was not expecting that. But when I was like, okay, his platform is vending machines. You have cancer. Let's put this in perspective. Like, who cares about his speech, you know? And like when she wakes up and she's like, how did it go? And Adam's like, you know, it went great. The surgery went so well. And she's like, no, no, Max's speech. I'm like, oh, come on. I was like, we have got to get rid of this idea that like mothers are martyrs and they only care about Like, I'm like, can she please ask how her surgery went before she asks about the speech? But hearing you talk, I'm like, maybe her focus really is, I got to look out for the people around me in case this goes to the worst possible place. You know, maybe that's where her head is. And she's just Mm -hmm. making sure all the pieces are in place and everyone's going to be okay. And that helps a lot because otherwise I'm like, you need to be able to put yourself first in scenes like this, you know, and it was just, Yeah. yeah. So anyway, that's interesting. Side note, having not watched the show. Yeah. And not knowing mm. that the child has Asperger's. Right. I definitely he... was like, why is everybody so worried about this kid? Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely like picked up and I was like, oh, he's a little moody about his spot. But like, I, I, I got there. I figured out before, but coming into it cold. <laughs> that's true. Did you not wonder when this was his dinner conversation? You know, if you eat something before your surgery, you can throw up in your breathing tube and then inhale it into your lungs. Max, stop. If that ever happens to you, it's 100% death rate. Okay, stop. Max, that's that's why would you say that? There's no way to say them. 
<laughs> that part actually made me laugh the line. No way to save them. Like, just really hammering it home. <laughs> so, that was certainly a tipping point right. in my <laughs> thinking. Like, I think there's more to this storyline than I know coming as an outsider. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was taken aback by how much I liked his speech. I was fully prepared not to care. And I didn't remember that he, like, told all his classmates that he had Asperger's. And I thought, okay, that's kind of fantastic. And it is sad that Christina didn't see that. She would have loved that. So then I think I really got why she was so sad to miss it. Well, here's a fun fact about the school speeches. The candidate who spoke before Max was played by Emily Evan Ray, who is Savannah Page Ray's older sister, who plays Sydney. Yes. You didn't see her in this episode. You didn't see her in this episode. You don't know that. That's Joel and Julia's daughter. And so that's kind of fun that the girl who went before Max. You know how I realized it? Her voice. Because I knew, I wouldn't wouldn't have plucked this out of the sky if I hadn't known that, but I knew a piece of trivia that Sydney, in real life, her older sister was on the show. And I just heard her talk and I'm like, oh, that's... That's the same voice as Sydney. And then you see her face and I'm like, oh, that's the same face as Sydney. <laughs> like they really look and sound just alike. But that is a fun fact. I love that. I have an odd observation about Max's speech. I'm Max Braverman and I'm running for student council president. If elected as president, then I will bring back the vending machines that used to be in our school. And that's why you should vote for me. Also, I'm very tenacious. It means being very persistent. I'm like this because I have something called Asperger's. Having Asperger's makes some things very difficult for me, like looking people in the eye or saying hello. So I don't do those things very often. Some things also come very easily to me because I have Asperger's, like being smart and remembering almost everything. Also, it means being tenacious. And so I will be tenacious about the vending machines. Another thing about Asperger's is that I always keep my promises. So when I tell you that I will bring back the vending machines, you can believe me. Some people say that having Asperger's can sometimes be a bad thing, but I'm glad I have it because I think it's my greatest strength. It reminded me a little bit of Carl Rove believe it or not. Do you remember Carl Rove? He was like an advisor to George W. Bush. And Carl Rove had this strategy of taking your biggest weakness and turning it into your biggest strength. And then for your opponent, taking their biggest strength and attacking it as a weakness. So while Max was collecting the signatures to run, he was mocked by some people for having Asperger's. And you could say it was his greatest vulnerability, that that Mm. is what people would use against him. I'm not going to vote for him because of this. But it's just like Rove turning Bush's vulnerabilities into strengths. He wasn't (laughs) stupid. He was just like you. And he wasn't a deserter during Vietnam. John Kerry was actually the one with a dishonorable record during the war. What happened on that swift boat, you know? Yeah, they were the Band-Aids to make fun of his purple heart. Right. Like, uh, he was actually in the jungles, you know, fighting. And Bush was (laughs) deserting a reserve (laughs) air base in Texas. It's amazing how they did that. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, but it's a good strategy. I mean, Bush actually won the second election. And (laughs) (laughs) JK, or am I? uh, Kidding on the square. (laughs) Yeah, and... uh, And so I thought it was really smart of Max 
to take what some might see as a vulnerability and just blatantly say, no, this is actually good. That's brilliant. I didn't think of that That's at all. That's beautiful. That's yeah. beautiful, Caleb. Oh, thanks. So smart. Carl Rove, come on the podcast. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> also, who would have thought would we be louding Carl? What a smart guy. Here's something random, but I noticed that during the speech, Hattie was standing next to a sign saying, Vote Chloe for president. Oh. And I I couldn't help but remember that Chloe was the code name that Amber gave to Alex when Hattie was dating him secretly. So it made me think of Alex running for middle school president, and he would have definitely had my vote. While I'm just tossing out random things, <laughs> I have to say about Nora, how did they get that pre-verbal, almost, baby to say mama and cling to a woman who is not her mother? That's oh, a good question. I was so impressed. Do you know, oh, do you know what I thought happened there? So I, that exact moment, I assumed the child was actually asking for their mother like in that moment was like i want my actual mom and she was just so good she rolled with it and Mm. she made it work that she was the one who then you're so right she clutched the baby to she clutched the baby and yeah because i thought the kid they and and like smartly they just kept it rolling yeah i think the kid was actually asking for (laughs) their mama's over there i'm just right over there i was like mama (laughs) and then she just they all smartly kept the camera rolling and she just kept going with it oh and it became the moment but i i totally caught that i thought in that moment oh, she's great. She's just rolling with it. The kid was just asking for their actual mom. Because it ended up being a really touching moment. Yeah. Totally, totally. Monica Potter is so good with those twins. <laughs> like, she I mean, is good. Yeah. it's a one baby, but like real life, they're twins. Um, right. And she's so good with that. Like every time, she just makes it work. Whatever they say, she just ad-libs and like works with mm-hmm. it. I love it. It's so good. Have either of you ever had surgery? I have. That was a random thought I had. What was just, do you I mind have. sharing what it was about? Oh yeah, mine was just on my leg. What when it was I, for? When, I, how it when was I was about when I was run over by a car, which I've talked about on a previous episode. <laughs> but yeah, when I was seventeen, I was run over by a car, and it was my leg. And like I actually said on an earlier podcast, that a little pet peeve of mine is when people say they were run over by a car, but what they mean is they were hit by a car. I was legit run over by a car. Like my, I was on the ground and a car ran over my leg and it broke it. So I had to have surgery and that's my only surgery. So did it, it just ran over one leg. Yeah. It was a weird fluke. kind of Two, thing. two sets of wheels or like both front and back wheels ran over the leg or just one. I think it was just one wheel, but it like went, forward and backward it was a little <gasps> old lady trying to decide the best way to get off of my legs she just kept <laughs> grinding it into the pavement <laughs> <I feel like. laughs> it's terrible i got a ten dollar no wait i got a fifty dollar ticket for jaywalking she didn't get a ticket for running over what i didn't remember that <laughs> Yeah, I got home from the hospital after the surgery and missing you a week a of school. Ticket? I got a ticket for jaywalking. <laughs> I think I was the victim of age discrimination. Is what I think. I think if I had hit the little old woman with my car, if I think if I'd run her over, I still would have gotten the ticket. I was going to get that ticket no matter what. I was a seventeen-year-old punk, and that's what that's what I think. Uh. Side note, you are the only other person I've ever met who, like me, has been ticketed for jaywalking. Really? 
<laughs> yes. Now, I didn't get run over by a car in the course of my ticketing. Well. So you win. I win. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you had surgery. What was your surgery? I have. Um, <laughs> Can you say, is it private? Um, I, I'm happy to say. I don't know if you'll use it. Um, <laughs> I, so I've ha- I had an appendectomy. Okay. And then I've had a couple surgeries on my butt. Okay. I had to have a partial lateral internal sphincterotomy. Oh, wow. When I was young. Caleb, I've never told you this. I don't think so. I feel like <laughs> I would have remembered. <laughs> Basically, I just I just needed a little help. Um, my poop was just too big for my hole. I oh, mean, wow. I, I'm assuming you won't, probably won't use that. <laughs> but that's essentially... It was so adorable the way you said it. I might. <laughs> So I had this surgery where they went in and made a little incision, which just made everything do that better, which was great. But then I developed a fistula. Oh, I've heard, yeah. So a fistula you can get anywhere on your body. It's basically where a gland or something becomes infected and it kind of burrows its way out. You can get in your mouth, you're anywhere. I had to have a fistulectomy. Oh my gosh. Mm. Yeah. So by the time I was like 19 or 20, I'd had two butt surgeries. So yes, oddly, for somebody who's otherwise typically very healthy, I have had a few surgeries. Wow. Well, I think that we've established that we don't like small talk and we like to just get right in. <laughs> this is the first time we've met. Look at all the ground we've covered. Wow. <laughs> Caleb, have you had surgery? I have. I mean, I had my wisdom teeth out when I was mm. oh, I had in that high too. school or something. Second? That okay, too. we've all had that. Oh. What next? <laughs> And um, I actually had a tumor removed when I was 11. Oh, wow. I had a tumor on, uh, its actual name, I think, is a fibrous cortical defect. So it's a type of tumor that grows on bones. Um, I think it's almost always, if not always, benign. It's just the nature of this thing. And uh, mine was growing underneath muscle. So Mm. it was causing muscle pain. And that's how we discovered it. And it was like four inches long. And wow. So God. I was 11 years old and they just, it was on my fibula in my leg. And they just cut out four inches of my fibula with the tumor on it and then sewed me back up. Wait, what do you mean they took out part of your fibula? So there was just a gap in the bone because they said the bone would probably grow back. Probably. They said, even if it didn't, the fibula only carries 10% of your weight. It's your um, tibia, which so wait, is the So they didn't shin. take out, like, did they take out, like, shave off a bit of it or no, take it, out? No, the, the bone started, and then the, there was a four-inch gap, and then the bone resumed. Whoa. Do you still have a gap? I don't know. I you don't know? <laughs> That's fascinating. The last time that I got an X-ray... Which I think was, I think I was like 19 or something. It was quite a while ago. There was like a little shard that had almost gone all the way back, oh. like covered the whole distance. So it might be complete now or it might not. I don't Also, know. bones grow back? <laughs> Apparently they do. I don't think, what kind of doctor did you go to? I don't think that's a thing. <laughs> I don't know. I just know that the, Okay, I always say them wrong. It's the tibia and the fibula. Did I say that yeah. right? I sometimes yes. switch it. That's what I had surgery on, you know, because that's where I got run over. And I have a metal rod inside my leg. Oh. So 
Yeah. So you got a rod. I have a rod. And, and, and got you got hair. a rod and he just got like, we think it'll grow back. That should be our selling point for this podcast. <laughs> We're the freaks. Come listen. We're Which leg was it, morning. Melissa? My left leg. Me too. What? We're the oh same. My oh. <laughs> oh my God. Oh Lord. Uh, this is very little to do with cancer. Well, you just mentioned Lord. Okay, Let's cover nice. the last. <laughs> How's that? Oh, Caleb's going to just cut me just a little thing. We're going, oh, Lord. And then cut into. That. <laughs> That's it. Perfect. Well, you said Lord. Our next podcast will be called Desperate Segways. <laughs> <laughs> Desperately seeking segways. <laughs> yes. We got this little prayer from Crosby and Jabbar at the end. Hey, you know that praying thing you do? Uh-huh. You think you might be willing to show me how it works? Okay. Yeah? Yeah. I promise to re-burrito you. Oh, good. Okay, I'm already on my knees. Cross my fingers like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. You start by saying, dear God. Then you talk to him like you're talking to a friend. Oh, wow, that's so informal. You just, dear God, and then... Mm-hmm. Okay. Um... Hmm. Dear God, um, I know we don't know each other all that well, but you're really tight with my son, so, um, well, Jabbar's aunt, or my sister-in-law, has cancer. He already knows that. Right, oh yeah, okay, duh. Yeah, so, if you could look out for her and, and my brother, Adam, you know, I'd really appreciate it. Oh, and also please help Max's dog, Otis, feel better and get the cone off his head. Yeah, uh, amen to that. Amen. Did you just love that or I loved that? I did. I was yes. a little sucker. Yeah, I was like, I'm in. Yeah, I was like, maybe this is a little too wholesome, but if you're not on board by season four, why are you still watching? Yeah, well, again, back to earlier, I thought this is a great example of watching somebody be great with the child actor, mm-hmm. with rolling with the punches. And I'm sure the stuff about like the hand, like improvising with the kid, it just felt oh, like yeah. great, yeah. great stuff happening. That's a good point. Like I even wonder I'll if- you. Yeah, I wonder that might've been just a Dak Shepard throw off, like which was super cute. Totally, because before he even said it, I was like, well, you just tucked him in. Why would you untuck? Like, yeah. and then he made it work yeah. by saying, I'll re-burrito you, which, might be my new favorite saying. <laughs> it's pretty good. You know, I before we had this whole time discussion, I thought maybe the theme of the episode was burritos because he says he'll he'll re-burrito <laughs> you. And Ryan said, I'd love to buy you a burrito and talk about your aunt. You're totally right. And does someone call someone a jackass or refer to themselves as a jackass? Because I'm like, well, you know, a jackass is a little donkey. And that's what burrito a means. burrito. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love that. But time, I think, was a more time substantive. Time is maybe, yeah. The time <laughs> burrito <to> continuum. <laughs> so there's that. Yeah, no, I, I really loved that scene. And I, I liked, it felt like um, a little performative on Crosby's part, but I, I liked that because I felt like he was really talking to Jabbar as much as he was talking to God, you know, because he wasn't really religious. So it was sort of like, I mean, I think he really wanted to pray, but it was like he was so self-conscious about it that I think it made sense that he was sort of saying everything he was doing. I, I don't know. It felt really 
real. I will admit my first thought was like, this feels a little heavy handed. Like, <laughs> tell me about that praying thing you do. Like <laughs> yeah. you're 30 and you've never heard of praying. Right. Like, what, right. what? Like, but, but then as it went on, it certainly won me over. Yeah. Well, and there was a previous episode and it was a very small storyline. It was the season four premiere. It was kind of a nice little storyline where Jabbar was starting to get more religious because of his grandmother on his mom's side. And Crosby felt a little like left out because he's not religious. And so I thought this was sort of a nice way of being like, include me in your world because something heavy is going on and I don't really know what to do. And prayer seems to help some people. Yeah. And I appreciated just that they continued that. Yeah. That it was like, hey, you know how Jabbar prayed in that one episode? He's still doing it. Yeah, it was just I, like I a, like that. It was yeah, like, so continuity. Then, so then the previous one didn't feel so much like an isolated story. It's a part of Jabbar's character now. Yeah. Well, when I first watched this episode, I think I was just in a weird mood about it. And I, I took way fewer notes than I ever do. And I was like, this one's kind of a dud. But after I watched it the second time, and now especially having talked about it with you two, I really enjoyed the episode and thought that it was a nice chapter in the Braverman <laughs> saga. <laughs> That's a weird way to put it. Uh, we'll take it. I thought the whole episode felt in a way like being in a waiting room. Because as mm. I mentioned, I, I thought most of it was in a very small window of time. And... Like I said before, it felt like that way when something happens in a family that everything else kind of just stops yeah. and, and helps the person in need. That was what this episode sort of felt like, even though I suppose the Drew Mark stuff really was kind of separate. But even then, we saw Sarah at the hospital talking yeah. to Adam about it, and it gave him comfort. It's like, is anything else going on besides this? Yeah. Say what we will about Bravermans and their boundaries, but they are certainly there for each other when someone needs them. Yeah. Although to that end, I thought Zeke and Camille's absence from this episode felt a little odd. It's like, why aren't they I was going to say, there? who the fuck are they? Yeah. yeah that, I don't know. Who the fuck are they? That is Craig T. Nelson and Bonnie Bedelia, and those are the grandparents. Those are, you know, the four siblings' parents. And you're right. They would have totally been in that waiting room. I, yeah, it's weird. I didn't even notice they weren't in it till you said that. And now I'm like, oh, that is jarring. But yeah. I didn't notice Like it. that Sydney and Victor aren't there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Buy yeah. it. Yeah. That Jasmine's not there. Okay. Maybe she's a, yeah. Or Joel, but the parents, you know, they're not at work. Well, that's, you know, that's just, uh, Hollywood scheduling and contractual like, mm-hmm. yeah probably. yeah yeah it's it's just the and really in the waiting room you want the fourth siblings yeah you really that's who you want to see together yeah there you know like why bring Craig T Nelson in for to sit there and have one line <laughs> yeah and Christina does mention at some point that you know the grandparents are picking Max up from school so. They're helping in their way. They're helping. We've seen the spreadsheet. They're probably in a later hour. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's it. They're <laughs> respecting the boundary of the schedule while no one else is. Yeah. They That's are. probably it. What did you think of the episode? Oh, I loved it. I don't know why I loved it both times all the way through. And you were like, is this a dud? I mean, I did. I was talking to Caleb about this before we started recording. I did notice This season, because the cancer storyline has taken like sort of front and center, it is interesting how it used to be more like, let's have four or five storylines that all have equal like time devoted to them in equal measure. And this one, it's like, Julia, like barely is in it. Camille and Zeke aren't in it, you know, and, and it feels like it's just such a bigger 
piece of the pie. And, and I totally get that because it's, they're acting the hell out of it. I think they're doing a really good job with it, doing like beautiful work, but it is so heavy that I'm like, Ooh, that's right. Season four just feels different than the previous three, which were a lot lighter and funnier. And this I'm like, Ooh, and I'm starting to realize this is why we forgot Joel was funny. I don't think Joel has said anything funny all season. Does he ever again? I don't know. Like, like he, maybe he was just funny in the first half of the series. <laughs> I don't know. He's not even in this episode, so what am I doing? But I just, I just think the whole series has become heavier, and it's good. I really like it, but it, it, I feel like I have to sort of prep myself to watch it now. Those are my complicated thoughts. What about you, Steven? It was your first time ever watching it. Somehow I've managed to make it through this conversation without crying, <laughs> but I did in fact cry slash sob throughout the episode actually <laughs> watching it this morning. Yeah. I'm sorry uh, that we did that no, to you. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a... I'm a faucet that is turned on and happy to flow. I let, <laughs> I let the emotions flow these days. Yeah. But it did, it touched me. There were many, many moments that I could very very personally relate to and i was i was very very moved by it i think even thinking about when it was on originally i probably in the same way this is us mm. always felt like something like i'll probably cry in every every episode of that so <laughs> yeah. i think i'm probably not gonna watch it yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah um was my initial response and now it's like I would totally go back yeah. and and watch this. Yeah. As Sarah told me, I was texting with Sarah, as oh. we were saying, a prior <laughs> guest, that she's totally into the show now and is, has become Aww. into it. So I I, I would uh, definitely um, be interested in the show now. Could you please say that again? Oh, <laughs> that's funny. I gotta oh, did say- did Siri think she was Sarah? Oh. Yes, that's exactly what happened. My phone is never, I have a new phone. Mm. I thought I had her turned off. I don't like Siri. I don't need her. And I absolutely think my phone <laughs> just thought I said Siri. <laughs> yes. well, I will say that seriously, this one and the one with Sarah, two of my very favorite episodes, like just really fun. To, I totally get why Caleb loved working with both oh. of you so much. Oh. These have been really wonderful conversations. And like, it's especially cool and impressive that like neither of you had really watched the show. Although I guess by the time we had Sarah on, she had watched quite a bit. But like, <laughs> oh, yeah, but both of you See, like, I, yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to come on. Um, I sort of wanted to like just watch this episode. I get and that. Just talk, like I was excited to Although, as I said, after having watched it, I realized I do actually have a deep parenthood connection because I watched that film. Yeah. Oh, okay, side note. I remember even <laughs> as a kid, so my brother's eight years older than me. So we were close now, but as kids, we you know, that's a big, big yeah. difference. Yeah. And so we weren't ever like brotherly, like in that cliche brotherly way. But I remember watching the movie and there's some scene with Keanu Reeves and Mart, something about a boner. Oh, yeah, with uh, Joaquin and, Phoenix, who went by Leaf Phoenix when he was in that movie. But I was also confused because there was a character named Boner on Growing Pains. Yes, there was. <laughs> so I was like, I'm confused about what a Boner is. <laughs> and so like plotting out of my mind, maybe I'll, be pl I'll, I'll try to time it out where I'm playing Parenthood as my brother walks in the room and it'll be the Boner scene and I can be like, ha, what's a Boner? I'm like, ask my brother that. <laughs> So I remember Parenthood, the film, like playing this. That is, like, that is fantastic. In my brain as a kid. Here's wow. my age gap with a brother 
boner story. (laughs) My brother's 11 years older and it's my only sibling. And so we also weren't that close when we were young or when I was young. So once when I was in seventh grade, that song Mary Moon from Dumb and Dumber was like super popular. And I loved that song. I had no idea what it was about. So I was always like singing it at the top of my lungs. And it was like, she don't eat meat, but she sure like the bone. The bone. Yeah. And my, my brother was like, Melissa, you should not sing that. And that's all he said. And my mom, who also did not get the song. <laughs> <laughs> my mom was like, Dave, stop picking on her. Let her sing whatever she wants. And he's like, whatever. I'm just out. Like, it's, I tried. I tried. So anyway, there's mine. Totally. Oh, your sweet, innocent mom. I know. I know. <laughs> totally. I feel like yeah. you can even tell the way they say it. She show like, like the bomb. Me. Not check out. It's like, you mom. know that's going on there. I know. So anyway. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Here, also, this did this didn't fit in to say earlier, but now to get even more complicated with family stuff, I was also a twin. Oh wow! I was an identical twin. Oh my gosh! And my twin died right after birth. I could have put this in earlier with the family thing. You did tell me did about this, me- and I remembered that, but I didn't bring it up because I thought, right. well, don't bring up the dead twin unless you have. You could, no, I mean, we could have. I just <laughs> thought we were going to focus. I know I thought we were just going to focus on dead mom instead of dead twin. <laughs> That's so much. You know? Wow. Does that. Do, do you have feelings about that? Or is it like one of those things where you're like, I should have feelings and I don't have feelings? Like, you know, like. Well, it's so it's interesting. It's something I always knew. Uh-huh. My family always told me. As a kid, younger, I think I thought I felt this yearning and this loss. I think in hindsight, that was more being a lonely gay kid mm. than like specific to being a twinless twin, right. as I recall. Uh-huh. But. I've also come to realize, I do think it very much played into, um, so like for my mom, my mom had really bad endometriosis and this is starting in the sixties. And at that point they just kind of like wanted to take all of her junk out. They're like, you're not gonna have a kid. Like what? She's like, let me just try, let me try. And she got pregnant with my brother. And then they just sort of thought that was it. It was so hard for them to get pregnant anyway. They just kind of assumed that was it. And then eight years later, wow, super surprise pregnancy and it's twins. Wow. Yeah. So, and, my, and so this was, this is a hospital moment. My mom were there and she's, you know, it was like, a, I can't, I wish I had written this down. The number she's like, yeah, it was like a, a one in a thousand chance and one in a whatever chance that we would ever get pregnant with your brother. And then she's like, it was like a one in a million chance we would ever get pregnant again. And so you really were our one in a million, Oh, my you know? God. But then for that to happen and then to have one of them die and you realize, I remember the moment my mom said to me, this is like in my 20s, she's like, yeah, your birthday's always been kind of a bittersweet day for us. Right. And you realize, oh my God, it's not just my birthday. It's also the day they lost a kid. Wow, yeah. of course. And, oh, and like, we, it was, it was a, a very traumatic birth. So like he died because of complications and I was in the... I was rushed right away. And then my mom got sent home with neither of us. And those moments when you just realize your, your parents aren't mom and dad, they're just normal fucked up people like the rest of us. Yes. So it's always been there. And, and now being able to look back and realizing the way that affected my relationship with my parents, specifically my mom and our relationship. And I'm the kid that didn't die. Right. 
<laughs> you know, like all these things that now you realize how they impact your life. Man. Wow. Dead moms, dead siblings. Like I've, I mean, I've got it all. <laughs> I, I'm, the, I'm the guy for a podcast. <laughs> you are. This was really, yeah. I mean, I'm so glad to have gotten to meet you and that this was our talk. And again, you know, for someone who doesn't care for small talk, this was my dream. This was wonderful. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Yes. Thank you for having me. This has been <laughs> a very incredible and special experience for me. So thank you for having me. Oh, wonderful. Listeners, if you're in New York and going to see a Broadway show, check the board in the lobby. If the name Stephen Malone is on there, say hi to the conductor. <laughs> if you're listening to this before February 2022, mm -hmm. go see Flying Over Sunset at Lincoln Center. You'll hear Stephen on the keys. Flying over sunset, crossing Hollywood and Vine. Flying over sunset, past the Hollywood sign. Riding with the top down, eyeing all the ten young men. I could have had my choice of any then. Yeah, I'm, I'm currently at Lincoln Center doing a show called Flying Over Sunset, which is about Cary Grant, Aldous Huxley, and Claire Booth Luce experimenting with LSD in the 1950s. I'm sold. <laughs> It's, a, it's all based on fact that then is imagined beyond that. Tom Kitt and Michael Corey score, James Lapine book and direction, and we'll be at Lincoln Center. So that's, that's where I'll be. Well, listeners, you can follow us on social media. We are Parenthood Pals on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And you can find us at parenthoodpals.com. Until next time, may God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come true.